Hi, it's Melissa Moore, and welcome to Mile High Magazine. We appreciate you being here on this Sunday morning. Looking forward to today's conversation with Dr. Jeff Young, Planned Pethood International. Good morning, Dr. Jeff. Good morning. Well, tell me a little bit about Planned Pethood International. What do you all do? Well, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, and uh, uh, bottom line is our whole big emphasis is spay-neuter. Uh, having said that, in the last few years, we've kind of shifted over to, you know, the whole economic euthanasia issue. So we try to provide a range, uh, a, a wide variety of, of surgeries and medicine uh, for people in need. And we're kind of on a sliding scale, you know. Uh, so we have a we have like 120,000 clients. So people mm-hmm. drive from all over, uh, literally all over the United, from all over the United States and all over Colorado. So we try to get as many people as we can. And uh, we do. I do a lot of international work. I've lectured in over 42 countries where we have uh, vet students coming through here from five different universities and hope to expand that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, our, our big thing is to try to get people to be responsible and offer them uh, low-cost services so they can actually afford the companion animals that they have in their right, lives. Right, right. Well, tell me a little bit about where uh, Planned Pethood International, where are you located here in Colorado? Well, we're on Harlan Street uh, in Wheat Ridge, 4595 Harlan street uh we are going to be uh building a new location up in conifer and um bottom line is that it's it's going to be about a year away but our goal is to do more training especially of of vet students Mm -hmm. um you know and i mean it's great as they go through vet school you kind of learn the gold standard for everything but the problem is most people were were, the vet profession is kind of pricing themselves out of the market a fewer and fewer percentage of people who have pets actually get to go to veterinarians Mm -hmm. only about 40 percent of americans can actually afford the current veterinary service that are offered by most veterinarians. I did not is, realize the number was that low. Yeah, it's pretty low. And you know, it's one thing getting shots and stuff, but if you have any kind of major surgery needed, um, too many animals are being euthanized just because people can't afford that. And I find that really sad. That is awfully sad. And we'll get back to that. But let's talk a little bit about the first thing you said, and that was about spay and neuter and how that was kind of your focus when you first started. Why is it so important for people to get their pets spayed and neutered? Well, and we still have a a, a mild overpopulation problem. I graduated vet school in 1989, all right? Um, so I'm not quite with the dinosaurs, but having said that, um, we were killing 24 to 26 million dog and cats a year in this country at that time. We're still killing probably two to four million. It kind of depends on who you read. Uh, and, and no one has a, an exact number. We didn't have an exact number back in 89 because animals get euthanized or shot or whatever and are never recorded. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've made a great stride since 1989 the, the, the knock off, you know, 20 million from the euthanasia list. Um, that's a pretty, pretty impressive number. Um, and I think now my biggest concern as a veterinarian is, is while overpopulation is still there. And mm-hmm. if you don't stay on top of it, it can pop right back up. So you can be right back up to the millions really fast. So I think we always have to provide low cost spay neuter uh, for people because that the number one reason that people don't get their animals fixed is, is income. Sure. It comes back to the money. Uh, and that's pretty straightforward. So, you know, but now I think economic euthanasia is also another factor in that. So, you know, if you if your dog happens to get hit by a car or something like that, you can't afford the expensive surgeries that we have now for that. And we can do amazing things with that. I mean, it's pretty amazing what we can do on the animal side in terms right. of, uh, of treating animals. But, you know, uh, I, I'm a big proponent of spay-neuter if for no other reason. All the longevity studies have proven that fixed animals live longer. Mm. You know, you get three to five more years for your cat, one to three more years for your dog. And in the last two years, there's been some pushback about spay-neuter, you know, and it's more about timing of it than actually spay-neuter, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of the literature is very skewed, and they're 
they're retroactive studies where we're basically uh, looking back in time and and through major universities. So you have a very skewed population. There's lots of problems with those studies. Um, so you know, there's still a lot of work, research needs to be done. But right now, you know, we really push fixed by five months, and that's uh, not an issue with cats at all. It's certainly not an issue with dogs under 50 pounds. When you start getting the bigger breeds, then we can start arm wrestling over what the right time is. Okay. I know that has been a big debate, even among my friends with dogs. It's like, ooh, is it too young to get them spayed and neutered? Yeah, it's it's an issue. But, you know, the truth is the literature, there's only a few places. UC Davis is one of the big universities that's pushing pushing out the information. And I'll just say a lot of their studies are backed by the uh, the AKC, which is all about breeding animals. Um, and they're also, they look at very highly inbred animals. They don't look at necessarily lines. Um, there's just, there's a lot of flaws in, in their literature. And they know that. Um, they have a long a longevity study at UC Davis. I don't believe it's ever been published, but it pretty much came to the same, came to the same conclusion. Um, and uh, 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 Banfield has a uh, basically a state of health. They do it, I think, every few years. They looked at over 2 million animals, dogs, and uh, 2.2 million. And same thing. You know, in the end, uh, bottom line, fixed animals live longer. Now, if they live longer, are they more likely to get cancer? Of course. So then you have a cancer rate that may be higher right. in a, a spayed dog. Well, you know, why is that? Well, because they live three years longer. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. You know, so it, it's that cause and effect versus correlation versus causation. And there's still a lot of debate about that. And what about somebody who maybe adopts an older dog or has an older dog that's never been spayed or neutered? Uh, is there an age cutoff? There really isn't. I hear that all the time from people. Well, my, my, my vet said, you know, it's too old and it may be only like eight years old or 10 years old. But the truth is there are tremendous benefits for female dogs in particular. Um, you can probably get a few less arguments with male dogs and some of them probably should be left to, uh, to be a little bit older and you can get away with it. But with females, by the time you get to be 10 years of age, uh, there's a very high percentage that have pyometra. There's a very high percentage that have breast cancer. Um, you know, there's just no question that fixing them does matter. Um, now, the breast cancer, if they have one, if they have a couple of heats, then fixing them doesn't change their chance of breast cancer at all. Right. If you get them before the first heat, they virtually never have breast cancer. Hmm. Uh, so that's eliminated. Um, but pyometra is, is what I see. I see one or two pyometra, which is an infection of the uterus, and it's very life-threatening. And it's very expensive because these dogs come in really, really sick. Sure. Uh, you know, they have a bacteria floating through their whole system. Um, so a lot of animals are put to sleep because of that. You know, that's just mm-hmm. the reality of it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about economic euthanasia because you had mentioned it. Have we seen an increase of that during the pandemic and, and because of the financial hardships for a lot of folks or just an overall increase? No, I think it's on the incline overall. You know, uh, certainly economic times pushes it more, uh, you know, and, and we know a lot of people that are, have tough economic con- times. But having said that, in the end, we're, we have basically shifted human medicine over to animal medicine. And as a veterinarian, I think it's one of the greatest things ever. You know, the mere fact you can get a, a kidney transplant for your cat, you know, things like that. It's pretty amazing. And pacemakers for your dog's heart. Now, having said that, someone has to pay for that, right. you know. And and that gets to be the crux of the problem. Uh, I'm very old school, and I do a lot of things old-fashioned way. It's not that I can't do them a more modern way, but it's it's expensive. Uh, I have some young kids out here from the University of Tennessee uh, students, and we do dentals here three to five every day, and we have for like 20 years. And uh, they said, well, they were taught basically if you don't have a dental X-ray, then that's it's going to be malpractice to do a dentistry. We haven't had a dental X-ray. A dental X-ray they've come down. They used to be over hundred thousand dollars. You can probably pick one up for thirty or forty thousand dollars, but it drives up the price. 
advice, you know, mm-hmm. and and I we don't have problems. I've never been written up to the state board for a dental issue or, you know, and they say we've done tens of thousands of them over the years. Right. So, you know, do you really need a dental x-ray to be, you know, uh, I mean, I consider it the gold standard and I, there's times it would certainly come in handy. Um, but, you know, it's not one of those things you should absolutely have to have. So if you if the vet board sets a standard that that's mandatory, well, you just priced a lot of people out of getting right. dental. What I keep hearing you say is that a lot of people are priced out of getting veterinary help for their pets. Yeah, and that, and that's you know, and I, and I am a little controversial controversial that way because I'm willing to do things on and on a cheaper note, and you know, but I make no bones about it. I tell people I'm not a specialist, you know, and I'm not, and or maybe I've never done that particularly heart surgery before, but I'll give it my best shot. And uh, we've been very successful. I mean, I've I've done a lot of surgeries, well over 150,000. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a pretty accomplished surgeon, and I have quite a bit of um, you know confidence in my abilities. But you know, I, I still see things for the first time in my career. And um, I, as much as I'd like to send some of those first things to specialists, if the people got a dollar ninety-five, well, I know what's going to happen to that dog. So right. I, my feeling is, what, what's the harm in trying? You know, yeah. Um, yeah. give it, give it my best shot. Um, what are your thoughts about adopting animals from animal shelters versus going to a breeder? Well, I, I, saying there's ethical breeders is almost an oxymoron in my mind, but I, I know that's not true. I like purebred animals, but you know, most of our problems come from backyard breeders. I mean, 90% of cat litters are unplanned. 40% of dog litters are unplanned. If you just eliminated those, you'd really make a, de- a dent in overpopulation. Right. Um, as high as 60% of puppies are given away within a calendar year. Now think about that one. Mm. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, what we know is cats, if they're not fixed, are four times more likely to end up in a shelter. Dogs are three times more likely to end up in a shelter if they're not fixed. The average age going into shelters is around 18 months, which makes them highly adoptable. You mm-hmm. know, as high as 75% animals entering shelters are, are very adoptable pretty much at the time they go in. But the number one reason they go into shelters is behavior problems. The number two reason is management problems like, you know, you're moving, divorce, income, no time, those kind of things. And sure. the third reason is aggression. Well, I'm not a big fan of aggression. And I think you can put some time in trying to change the aggression. But if it's too late, you don't ever adopt an aggressive animal. You euthanize it. Um, for behavior issues, it, you know, it may be it, it's an intact male and they haven't had it fixed. So it's peeing around the house, you know, and they don't like that, those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, but most of these animals can be rehabbed and, and, and adopted, you know. And so I'm a big fan of, of adoption through shelters. And you can get, you know, uh, purebred, shel- uh, purebred animals through shelters, too. Sure. You know, they're not, you don't always have the pick of the litter, but there's definitely some in there. Um, and. And, you know, it's about 20, depending on where you're at in America, 20% of people get their animals from shelters. It can go as high as maybe 30, 40% in some, you know, areas. Um, but, you know, the vast majority of people get their animals from a friend, <laughs> you know, a family or friend. You know, about 65% of the animals people get are free or low cost, you know. Um, I think that I cringe when people meet people in like, a, you know, a Walmart parking lot to pick up a puppy or something. If you are going to get an animal from a breeder, you should be able to see the mom, the dad, you should be able to see the situation they're living in. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do that, that's a major red flag. Right. That's And I think that's good information for people to know. Uh, let's yeah. talk a little bit about responsible pet ownership. And when somebody goes to adopt a pet, what should they be expecting? Well, it's a tough one. You know, I, I, as a veterinarian, I've been doing this 32 years and I've had maybe two people in 32 years ask me about, you know, what kind of breed they should adopt based on where they live, if they have kids, those kind of things. Okay. Um, 
I mean, as a profession, we've done a really poor job in selling ourselves, and maybe because we get virtually no animal behavior experience in mm-hmm. med school, so that's probably part of it. <laughs> um, and maybe the Humane Society people are actually better informed than we are in that respect. But I, I do think, you know, uh, being properly vaccinated, I, I think uh, being fixed is part of it. You know, being having your animal licensed and microchip. Microchip can save, you know, has saved thousands and thousands of animals' lives simply because we can trace it and get them back to the owner. Um, so I think those are some real basic things. I think from a veterinary standpoint, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think you have to go to a, a doctor every year. Um, I don't think it's a bad idea if you have the money, but I do think it's important to get those vaccines done. And there's still controversy about when you vaccinate and how often. I think we way over vaccinate in this country, so you can certainly skip some vaccines. But it's real important to get the first, you know, three puppy shots in and the shots a year later. I think okay. if you get that, you're, you're doing well. Um, then pretty much after that, everything be, pretty much be on a three-year basis, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that's a fair compromise. And, you know, then there's core vaccines and there's extra vaccines. You live in an area where, you know, there there may be more leptospirosis. And if your dog's going to be out hiking and drinking water, you probably need to get the lepto shot. If it's going to be, you know, an in-house dog with you, you probably don't need the lepto shot, you know. So you need to talk to your individual vet and each situation is different, in all honesty. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you were hoping to build a new center or you're working on it in Conifer. Tell me a little bit about that and maybe what you're going to be doing there, because I know you said you were going to be training vet students. Yeah. My feeling is that kids don't get enough experience, hands-on experience, real-life experience in vet school, and we want to provide them that. So we really want to reach out to a lot of different vet schools. I say we're working on about five right now, and I'd like to see that go up to, to more like 20. So I'm building a facility just for that. And it's, uh, but, you know, I, I want to make it more state-of-the-art, uh, yeah. which means raising money for that. Sure. I really want to have some really good equipment in there because they're they're used to that. That's what they've seen. And right. they come out of vet school. And so I want them to be able to see that equipment and know how to use it and continue to use it. But see how you can not use it or how you can use it in a different way to make things a little bit cheaper, you know. Um, and I think you have to try to find that balance. We have to get back. I mean, a lot of people believe that our industry just has to collapse on itself before, you know, um, something changes. But in the end, you know, we have to do something to reach out to more people and provide better services uh, up and down the scale. I mean, dentistry is, is a major example, you know. Um, you know, how many animals die because of rotten teeth, get heart heart disease or, you know, kidney disease, um, you know, those kind of things. And it'd be so easy to prevent. But if you don't have that $2,000 or whatever the going rate is, um, you don't get it done. Dr. Jeff Young with Planned Pethood International. It's been a pleasure talking with you. For folks who want to get in touch with you or maybe want to make a donation, where can they go? Uh, the best way is plantpetitinternational.org. Um, we're, and we're also on Facebook. Uh, so but just, you know, or stop on by and say hi. All right, Dr. Jeff Young, thank you so much for your time today. I'm Melissa Moore. It is Mile High Magazine. Thanks for joining us on this Sunday. Go out, have a blessed day. Be kind to everyone.